So, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned to Ray, uh, I said, what, what happened? The, the worship team doesn't want to play with you, or what, what happened here? But, but it afforded him the opportunity um, to just, I, I, I reminded him, you know, you're here to minister. I know that the, the Lord fills him with his spirit, and, and uh, I, can, I know of no other way better to conclude the year than to come together and worship the Lord together. In person, right? In person. Um, you know, as I kind of reflect on, uh, <clears throat> on the year, there's many thoughts that come to mind. Um, but one of them is Troy, believe it or not. I don't know why, but, uh, but you know, Troy comes to mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to, as a church, um, pray over Troy, um, because Troy, um, he, he doesn't like us very much, and he's leaving. <laughs> and so, um, I've already forgiven him in my heart, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, he goes knowing he's deeply loved and uh, and with uh, with the blessing of the Lord and and so I want to bring him up. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. <laughs> oh no, you get to come on. Can you make it up? You need help. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and he'll put you in a chokehold and take you down too. Don't let him. But uh, we're going to pray for for Troy and Christine and uh, just our family. I mean, Erica and Jasper and Caspian and Lily. That's the dog. Yeah, they're the the little lab the, dogs. The, the, that the you little have. Great Danes. Yeah. Yeah. What were we he, he's he's going like this, but yeah. it's more like this. Yeah. But uh, they're moving out to, where is it in Texas? East Texas, uh, Woodville. Woodville. Kind of about 100 miles, no, 60 miles uh, north, due north of Beaumont. Mm -hmm. So about an hour and a half from the Gulf. Okay, I know where the Gulf is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where all the storms are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for him. We'll, we'll miss him. Yeah, same here. Bittersweet. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I, I pray that the Lord brings more brothers like you into this fold to continue to encourage and build up the, the church because he's, uh, who he's sending out is, uh, is someone who I know will continue to do the Lord's work out there and uh, to encourage brothers out there just as you have here. Let's pray for, for Troy. Oh, Heavenly Father, we... Lift him up to you and just ask your blessing upon him, Lord. Crown him with wisdom and discernment. Continue to fill him with your Holy Spirit, Father, that he may be bold and confident in all that he does to bring you glory. Lord, give him traveling mercies to him and his family, Father, as they go out to Texas, Lord. And, and Lord, uh, in a way, just as I had mentioned the other day to him, uh, Lord, the, the work that he had been assigned here, Lord, has come to a close in, in a way, Lord. Uh, we do know that, um, 
that, that that which he has done, Lord, it will continue to resonate with each and every one of us, Lord, that have been blessed by a friendship with him. But Lord, there's a new work to be done. And so I pray, Father, that he would set his hand to the plow and not look back. Definitely not, not to California, but Lord, that you would set his eyes, Lord, on those things that you have for him to do that he would be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord, nothing that he does for you will be in vain. Let him not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, he doesn't give up. Lord, oh, will he reap. And so, Father, bless him and his family, Father. And uh, Lord, may he go filled with your spirit and in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, bro. Thank you for all the grace. I, I appreciate all the grace. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I, th I thought of a couple things as... Um, we're drawing, uh, you know, we're coming to a close as far as this year is concerned. And um, set this, all right. Uh, but a couple things. So personally, I, I, um, I reached my goal of, of going through the Word, going through the Bible this year. And so I started over, and I'm in Psalms right now. But I was thinking of um, one thing here. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it, but um, <clears throat> basically, uh, the psalmist uh, had said, you know, that the grave cannot praise the Lord. In other words, as we're here on earth and God has given us another day, so it is another day as an opportunity to bless and glorify the Lord, to praise Him. So I, I've been, I've been kind of, I've been thinking about that over and over and over and over again. And because some people are searching for purpose, they're searching for um, direction, uh, searching for fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment, and all of those things are found in the Lord. So as as long as the Lord gives us breath in our lungs, we should praise the Lord each and every day. I was thinking, today, what am I, I going to do today to glorify, to praise the Lord? Just today, like every day, may it not be a waste. Redeem the time, as the Bible tells us. And, and may each and every day be counted <clears throat> toward Him. Because we have a tendency to have the days count for us, right? And yet we should be sacrificial in our living. To live as Christ, and we should understand what that looks like. As we get into God's word, we should grow in our understanding and our knowledge of how to live in such a manner. Let that be us. May we be a people filled with godly wisdom and discernment, and, uh, and redeem the time. In Galatians 6, 
Beginning in verse 6, it says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, one of the things that we ought to understand is that we share blessings with each other as we teach each other. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to teach each other. Did you know that? And there comes a time with us that we should mature to the point to where we're teaching one another. We're able to do that out of God's word. And so share those blessings with one another as you teach each other, as you grow in the Lord. And in verse 9, it's very important for us as we conclude this year. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Listen to this. If we do not give up. When's the time to give up? Never. Never. Never, ever, ever give up. Persevere. Keep going. Each time you feel like quitting, seek a brother or a sister and tell them, I feel like quitting. And then don't let each other quit. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Uh, a few things before we get into this morning's message, which will be uh, in Acts 22. So we'll end the year just as we've begun it, we started it, and that is going through God's Word systematically. Uh, but a few things, um, just uh, as announcements and reminders, anyone who picked up a uh, Ziploc bag to uh, fill it up for the kids in Mexico uh, for the uh, missions trip here in January, um, if you could return that by next Sunday, that would be wonderful. We need them all back. And so next Sunday, January 3rd, have them back to us. That way we can put them all together, organize them, and then have them ready for distribution as we take them down to Mexico. We also have men. Mark your calendars. We're going to start out the year uh, with the men's prayer breakfast, and that is this Saturday, January 2nd, and, it's, and that's at 7 a.m. So it'll be here, men's prayer breakfast. So mark your calendars for that. And just a quick reminder, we will not have a midweek service this coming Wednesday. Um, normally, we take the Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's off. This year's no different. And, um, and so get into God's Word, uh, start off the year uh, just in God's Word and praying and seeking Him. And, uh, and we'll see you next Wednesday. But just a reminder that this Wednesday, we will not be meeting. <clears throat> But this morning, again, we're in Acts chapter 22. We're moving from Acts chapter 22, and we will be going into chapter 23. The message of, of uh, or the title of this morning's message is, The Lord Stood By Him. The Lord Stood By Him. You know, I was thinking about um, uh, just my service to the Lord and how it is that there are times when I feel like I have failed the Lord, like I have been unsuccessful, like um, just things didn't work out. Have you ever felt that way? You think, man, I've, I've let them down. I don't see fruit. I, I don't see things the way they ought to be. How do you feel when 
you sense, you, you believe that you're faithful to the Lord. And yet you still don't see perhaps the results you desire to see. Even more of a letdown? Perhaps. I've felt that way before. I've thought, oh Lord, I've failed you once more. And we need to understand that we do fail the Lord. But he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's with you wherever you go. You know, this uh, morning we're going to see how it is that the Apostle Paul, if you consider the things that he's experiencing and the conclusion to some of these situations, you would think that perhaps he was thinking the same thing. And listen to this, the one thing that the Lord requires of us is that we would simply be faithful. In his eyes, that is success. Just be faithful. He's called us to be faithful. And that is it. Verse 22 of chapter 22 is where we begin or we pick up and we continue. It says, up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion, who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Oh, Father, may you give us this kind of clarity of mind, this kind of, um, of peace in the midst of such dire circumstances. Oh, Lord, we... Um, we at times fold under much less weight. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each and every one of us, that we would learn and understand that you are with us. And if you are for us, then who can be against us? So, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. Teach us. Help us, Lord, to understand. May we grow mature, and learn to bless you that much more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Lord stood by him. You know, last week we talked about, or a couple weeks ago actually, about the characteristics that we see in the Apostle Paul. I spoke of someone who was unmoved, steadfast, immovable, right? Um, I had gone through its definition or words that describe those characteristics being unaffected by emotion or excitement, you know, those are all good reminders, sometimes on a weekly, daily, moment-by-moment basis, right? To be unaffected by emotion or excitement, be unchanged in purpose or intention, unchanged in position, determined, unwavering, purposeful, committed, loyal, faithful, devoted, dedicated, and dependable. A couple weeks ago, we covered these Characteristics, and yet 
from then to now, you've been tested in those things. These are characteristics that should be evident in you and I as children of God. As people who proclaim to abide in Christ, believe in Him, and in His sovereignty and in His power. These we know were evident in Paul's life. And as we go into this morning's study, we'll see how this type of mindset, known in Christ and built up by faith, was the very foundation upon which Paul could think in the midst of chaos, persecution, false accusations, and imminent danger to his person. Paul's faith is being tested. He is being tried and prepared for what he is enduring in the moment and what's to come. A couple weeks ago, I told you a story about when I went through pool week. I know for those of you who are watching online, you didn't get to hear that, but perhaps you've heard it before. For me, it was a very significant time in my life. It has been something that has resonated in my life throughout the years and still ministers to me even today as I think about my life with Christ in my ministry for him. I told you that I was going through pool week during dive school in Little Creek, Virginia. And you remember the sharking episode, how it was that the instructors, you know, we would be teamed up with buddies and, and uh, we were going through, we, we had learned all the academics, all the book work as far as scuba is concerned. And uh, it was time to go into the pool and, uh, and show that we actually could apply what we've learned. And, and so we learned how to dress up, how to put on our booties and our fins and our in our tanks and, and what the first stage regulator was, the second stage regulator was, and, and how it worked practically in the mask and clearing the mask and doing all that, getting used to breathing underwater, which that's not normal for us to do, right? But there was a, an evolution called sharking. And during that time, remember, you're, you're paired up with a buddy, and so you should never leave your buddy's side. Never, ever, ever, in or out of the water. Never, ever. That is your lifeline right there. That is the one that you can rely on, that will be with you through thick and thin. But there was a time when we were in the deep end, and I don't know, the pool is like 10, 12 feet. And so we were down there in, in the sharking evolution. So the instructors would be on the surface, and they'd go down and shark us. So in one fell swoop, they'd take off our regulator from our mouth, which was our air source, right? and our mask so we couldn't see. They'd shake us up a bit, try and tear us apart, and uh, turn off one, one person's air, and even try and shove the regulator in between the tanks, because we'd have twins, two tanks, and shove them in between. And so we had one minute to get everything together, not panic, not go to the surface, blowing bubbles the whole time, little by little, get everything back together, clear our mask, put our fins on, whatever it was, again, never losing our buddy, holding on to him, and start swimming, otherwise we'd be sharked again. Well, I tell the story often because it's something that I'm reminded of often of in ministry and in life in general. When it seems chaotic and stressful and the enemy is trying to rip the life source away from you and rip you away from fellowship and serving him, 
we, as Christians, need to learn how to be clear-minded and think things through according to Scripture, knowing how to regain our breath, so to speak, and calmly, yet systematically, get things back together and continue to move forward, making sure those with us are still with us and are also connected to Christ and moving forward. We need to think clearly and problem-solve according to the truth of God's word. This morning, we'll see how Paul is experiencing extreme circumstances. I don't know of anyone that has gone through what the Apostle Paul, we're going to see what he's going through. I don't think any of us have gone through that. So we're going to see this extreme circumstance that the Apostle Paul is going through, and yet he thinks, he problem solves, and is encouraged by the Lord telling him to take courage because as he testified in Jerusalem, so the Lord has him testifying in Rome also. Paul said, remember, to live as Christ, meaning that his life's purpose was to glorify God, and so it should be the same with you and I today. Now note one thing, and we'll see this, Jesus did not tell, this is something that he did not tell Paul. Paul, things are going to get much easier for you. He didn't tell him that. But told him there was still work to be done beyond Jerusalem and to Rome. And so what the Lord was implying through it all is that he would sustain Paul. He would get him to the destination. When the Lord says, let's go across to the other side, he is faithful to get us to the other side. You and I have a time and a date to go home. Until that moment, May we live to glorify the Lord, knowing that he will sustain us every single day. As the Lord told Paul that he would stand by him, so he also promises us that he will stand by us. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I know the New King James Version, instead of steadfastness, it's patience. Patience is not sitting on your hands. It's not doing nothing. But it's actually a very uh, active, purposeful activity that the Lord's doing in our lives through trials. That we would mature. That we would grow in the Lord. We would trust Him more. And even learn that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That when we're joyful in the Lord, we're actually hoping in him, banking on his promises. And we find great strength in that. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I was also reminded of a few fellows you might be familiar with. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, they they didn't have to explain themselves to the government, the king. They didn't have to explain themselves to him. But they said in verse 17, "If, If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Those are confident words. Not arrogant. Confident in the Lord. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, So regardless if... The Lord delivers us from the fiery furnace. We know that glory awaits us, in other words. But as for me, I will worship the Lord in him alone. I will not bow down to your idols, not to your golden image, nothing. It just speaks of uh, persevering in the Lord. We see this time and time again throughout the Bible. We see different people who can serve to encourage you and I, reminding us that the Lord is with us. As he was with Joshua, so he he is with you and I today. So take courage, the Lord is with you. Let's learn how to think under difficult circumstances, being calm, cool, and collected. And as the Lord stands by us, let us learn how to stand by him faithfully. So delivered by the Lord is what we see here time and time again with the Apostle Paul. Verse 22 through 29 uh, gives us an understanding of the Apostle Paul who was almost flogged. And Paul thinks clearly and uses one thing that is his Roman citizenship. Again, verse 22 says, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. In other words, they wanted him dead. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. In other words, he had done something illegal. Well, you know, as we go back and kind of to understand where we're at, it's been a couple weeks since we have gone through Acts 
And so at this point, the Jews, they didn't mind that Paul was talking about Jesus Christ. They didn't mind that he was talking about the Messiah, uh, even talking about his vision and about salvation. But this is where everything turned around. When the Apostle Paul said that the Lord had sent him to the Gentiles also. They were biased, prejudiced, discriminatory, and they were antagonistic toward people based on their ethnicity. Anyone outside of the Jews could not possibly be favored by God. Do not take salvation to them. It's not for them. It's for God's people. Israel, the nation, the Jews. Listen. Any favor gained due to race or ethnicity is racism. But listen to this too. Including reverse racism. You get that? Including reverse racism. You know, I I was always taught, you perform, you do your best, and made that be the judge of whether you gain anything in life. Not by favor, not by special favor, definitely. It's just by how you perform. I'm so glad that I was brought up that way. Because you can't cure racism by applying racism. You, you can't make sure everyone's unfavored by showing favoritism. How'd you get into that college? Oh, because I'm a Mexican and they had to, you know, fulfill a quota. The, you know, the ratio had to be balanced out. Nonsense. Nonsense. How'd you get that job? Oh, because I'm Hispanic and I put that down, I get special favor. Nonsense. It should not be that way. Reverse racism is still racism. It is. The Jews were very racist. They were very racist. They were biased. These were a people who thought that no one except for the Jews should receive the favor of the Lord. And yet, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the what? The world. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But for the Jews, they were deeply offended because he said that he was sent by the Lord to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And it was at that point that they wanted him dead. That was it, period. They wanted Paul dead because he spoke the truth. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're no better. We speak the truth. We're persecuted. Blessed are you if you are reviled for the name of the Lord for speaking the truth. It was when things got heated and they were demanding Paul to be put to death that the tribune ordered that Paul be brought back to the barracks and 
And it's at that place where he'd be interrogated and forced to tell them why it was that they wanted him to be dead. But they would do it in a very barbaric way. They were going to force him to confess by torturing him, by being flogged. And they wouldn't stop until he confessed. That's, that's basically how they would do it. But get this, Paul had already confessed, and the tribune, tribune even witnessed why the Jews were angry. They were there. They witnessed it. Remember, remember that they were taking him up the steps to the fortress, Antonia. Remember that? Northwest corner, I believe, of the temple. And it was in that place to where he stopped. He asked for permission. Can I speak to them? And can I address them? So they were witnesses of what he said. And they saw why it was that they wanted him dead. But yet, they said, well, let's, let's save him from this crowd. And let's bring him in and let's flog him. Let's get a confession out of him. Now, flogging or, or scourging did not mean that he was going to be beat with a, a rod or a whip. That's not what this was. This, this was a whip that within it, a leather strap that had metal, bone, glass, and it would tear through the skin and tear apart the fibers of the muscles, oftentimes exposing even bone. This was a brutal beating that sometimes resulted in death. It was not something, though, that was applied to Roman citizens. Thus, Paul, after being stretched out to receive the flogging, said to the centurion, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now, in the midst of this, I don't know. I mean, just picture yourself. You're strapped to this post. Your back is exposed. You're about to be flogged. And he has a mind that is clear in thinking. And he says, hey, is it lawful for you to do this to a Roman citizen? In an uncondemned man? Oh, that got their attention. But he was thinking clearly. You understand what I'm saying? What, what I'm bringing out here is the Apostle Paul, under these types of circumstances, was trained up enough by the Lord to be able to think. Well, this caused the centurion to stop calling the tribune, and the tribune came and verified whether Paul was a, a Roman citizen or not. Now, the centurion, he, he told him that he was a Roman citizen. The tribune came and he confirmed it. And the tribune was saying, well, I bought this for a large sum. So, in other words, he was saying, perhaps you bought it. And now, he was also implying, so now anyone can get Roman citizenship. And no, for the, the apostle Paul, he was born into it. So either his, his father or his grandfather had done, done something in their lives to benefit Rome. And so, therefore, they were awarded Roman citizenship and he was born into citizenship. So he was born a Roman citizen. So it was all confirmed and all was stopped. Paul was almost flogged. Paul was still thinking clearly under the most stressful of situations as he was about to be brutally beaten. You see, he knew Roman law. And he used it to reason 
and escape this brutal beating. That's all part of his ministry. Take note. These are all, this is all part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He used local law to benefit him so that he could continue to do the work of the Lord. Think about what it is that we're experiencing even today. You can defend yourself with the local law, the law of the land, to benefit you so that that would give you opportunity to continue to minister in the name of the Lord. We don't forget about it. We don't put our heads in the sand. We use it as the Lord gives us discernment and wisdom. The Lord was standing by Paul, and Paul had to think. He had to problem-solve considering his resources, and applying them. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Sounds familiar, right? This is exactly what was happening in this very moment with the Apostle Paul. Almost flogged. Well, he was almost flogged and he was almost sentenced to death. As we continue in verse 30. It says, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him, that is, the tribune unbound him, had him unbound, and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. One of those moments with Paul, where he, for the most part, he was controlled. You could see his tenacity and his passion, his zeal for the Lord. And yet, at this moment, he, he definitely had an outburst, didn't he? He was almost flogged, but in this moment, he was almost sentenced to death. And yet, Paul humbles himself before the person? No. It's the law. The word of God. Now, the tribune or the commander thought about this whole situation so much that the next day, instead of interviewing Paul himself or interrogating him using perhaps Roman officers, he called on the Jewish council to examine Paul. This was the Sanhedrin, or the Jewish Congress, you could say. 
a council Paul actually was a part of at one point. So he was very familiar with their processes. In this way, the tribune could witness the exchange and determine the exact reason why the Jews wanted Paul dead and make an accurate determination whether to follow through with what they wanted or not. But remember that Paul was a chosen vessel of the Lord's to testify of Jesus before Jews, Gentiles, and kings. The Lord also told him that he would suffer for his name's sake, right? And this is exactly what was taking place. And Paul was required to think clearly and rely on the Spirit, moving in the moment and Paul following him faithfully in that very moment. to, To be calm, cool, and collected in the very moment, to think of God's word, to apply God's word, to bring him glory, to continue to advance, to collect, to, to, collect to, to bring together the person and continue to advance and move forward. But Paul's presentation of himself was actually wrong. He started out on the wrong foot. Number one, he, he addressed them as, as brothers. Bro. And like, you know, you, you, you call someone else, either you forgot their name or you're just calling them bro, right? But you put yourself on the same level. At this point, when he addressed him as brothers, he didn't submit to the council as the authority under which he would be examined, but rather, with this salutation, he was putting himself on equal ground with them. That's what he was telling them, and they... They understood it clearly. Normally, he would address them as rulers of the people, um, elders. He would would, uh, address them respectfully from the get-go, but he didn't. Number two, he implied that he was right before God because he had a clear conscience. Remember, he was the one that was accused. Uh, There was trouble. Obviously, Paul, you've done something that's wrong. We're going to find out what it is. So how is it that you could come here and say you have a clear conscience before the Lord? You don't. At least that's how it could be interpreted. And it was indeed interpreted in that way. So Ananias, a high priest, was offended. And he ordered for Paul to be struck on the mouth. You you ever, you don't have to answer this, but if you've been in a fight and you get struck... There's something that happens. You know, you you don't sing for joy. There's just mm, something that happens within you. And from Paul's response, that that thing happened. It, it, It happened. You struck on the mouth. And Paul got a little angry. Now, a little insight. Ananias was not, um, he himself was not a righteous man. In fact, he was a compromised man. He was a corrupt man. And he was known, uh, Josephus wrote about him, that he used violence to advance his own personal interests with Roman politics or within Roman politics and was eventually killed by Jewish nationalists. And so you could say that Paul was correct in his statements, even prophetically stating 
as he was ordered to be struck, which is against Jewish law, so he stated that correctly. Paul was exposing hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of Ananias, and he was correct, even prophetically saying, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. He was accurate because, as I said, Ananias would later be put to death by those loyal to Israel. But when Paul was confronted with what he said to the high priest, he was immediately convicted and immediately confessed, but also said he didn't know that he was addressing the high priest. He, was, he admitted, he confessed, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. But again, I bring to your attention that it wasn't the person, but it was the law. It was the very word of God that brought him conviction. Oh, there's, there's something there for you and I to really hold on to, to take note of, to apply to our own lives. That when we are told that we have opposed, we have offended God by opposing his word, we ought to be convicted, confess that sin. And repent of it immediately. This is an, a beautiful example of the Apostle Paul in the moment, right away, confessing. Now, some think that it was sarcasm, while others think that it was genuine. We're not told any other way, although we do know Paul to be sarcastic from time to time, right? We've, we've gone through Scripture, we've seen evidence of his sarcasm, but... But it, it wasn't something that we see clearly here. You understand what I'm saying? So that, that's just people making commentary and thinking that perhaps this was it, but that's not what we see. Now, Paul acknowledged God's word and immediately humbled himself before the word of God. Again, a display of Paul thinking clearly and considering the leading of the spirit in the moment and acknowledging God's word above himself and above all. You know, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. That was the heart of Paul also. So he was almost flogged. And he was almost sentenced to death. And he was also almost torn to pieces. This is, this is all in one day. All in just, well, two days, actually, because the other one was previous. So and to, just imagine that. With like two consecutive days, this was all going on with the Apostle Paul. Verse 6, as we continue... It says, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. Brothers, he continued with that. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. But the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? 
And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So almost torn to pieces, but Paul perceives some doctrinal conflict and uses it to deflect from himself. That's what he did. Again, a man who was thinking under pressure. When Paul perceived that half were Sadducees and the other half were Pharisees, he knew that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, angels, the spirit. And so he used this to his advantage to deflect from himself. Specifically, he went into the resurrection. He announced that he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And he said the whole reason why he was on trial is because of the issue of the resurrection of the dead. And because this was a great controversy between the two groups, this divided the council. And and listen, the scribes chimed in, the scribes of the Pharisees. They kind of, did you sense there, it was almost like they antagonized. They kind of provoked a fight, didn't they? They said, then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, knowing where the Sadducees stood We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? (laughs) You're just adding fuel to the fire, buddy. That's what they were doing. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces uh, by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them. A great division, uh, chaos broke out. You could say at that very moment... They went to fisticuffs. They they started fighting. It was just like, man, the brawl was on. Paul had testified of Jesus' appearance to him and confessed his previous wrongdoings and spoke of his repentance and faithfulness to Jesus to go to Jew and Gentile alike. That ended in what seemed to be failure almost being flogged. Paul then thought that perhaps he was being given the opportunity to testify of Jesus before the Jewish council. And that ended up in chaos and this big riot. And perhaps he felt like it was also a failure. These two groups. Do you think at that very moment, after all of this broke out, Perhaps he, didn't, he thought he could, he could deflect, but he didn't think, I don't think he thought that this is where it would end up. The previous time he was speaking the truth, and yet at that point, they took him to be examined by flogging. He got out of it. But perhaps he thought it was a failure. Do you think Paul needed encouragement? I think so almost flogged, almost sentenced to death, and almost torn to pieces. But you know what this also means? Paul was not flogged. Paul was not killed. Paul was not torn to pieces. Almost is not. Almost. It's kind of like near drowning. Right? Near drowning, by the way, is not drowning. That's all that is. 
I think I near drowned a lot of times. The question is why? Why was it almost, almost, almost? Not, not, not? What, why? You know why? Because the Lord stood by him. That's the only reason. The Lord stood by Paul. He thought clearly and responded with discernment and wisdom. And the Lord delivered Paul each and every time. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says that this is Peter. Think clearly. That's what being sober-minded means. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone, but remember that the Lord is with you. Take courage. The next night, it says here in verse 11, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The Lord, he didn't tell him right away, but he waited a day, and that night was when he came to him and gave him this word of encouragement. The Lord was giving Paul support. He was giving him confidence, and he was giving him hope. Jesus told Paul that it was not over. And that he was to testify of the truth about Jesus in Rome, just as he had in Jerusalem. But wait a minute. I think it was all, I, Paul could have said at that moment, I thought it was all a failure. I testified of you. I, at least I tried to testify. I was really trying. I went and, and they arrested me and they accused me falsely for, and here I almost got flogged. I almost got charged falsely, blasphemy and I was also almost torn to pieces. I testified of you, Jesus? Yes, you did. You stood on the truth. That is what you did. Regardless of the circumstances around you, how they received it or didn't receive it, you testified. Oh, so it wasn't about external success, but about faithfulness toward the Lord. That's what matters to God. The only thing that matters is where you stand. Are you with him or against him? That's the only thing that matters. Is where you are standing where the Lord is standing? Are you standing with him? If you're being faithful to him, then he is standing with you. So be encouraged. In Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12, it says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And you could sense that the Apostle Paul at this very moment, he was encouraged. His mourning was turned into dancing at that very moment. The Lord had encouraged him, just as you testified of me in Jerusalem, so you will testify of me in Rome. You will get there, Paul. And Paul could trust in the Lord 
because he knew his word was good. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He is with you wherever you go. Remain faithful to him. Father, we thank you for your word of encouragement to each and every one of us, for we have endured much, and there's much to come, Lord, but we know that you are with us. You will never leave us, never forsake us. You love us with an everlasting love. And Lord, that we should think, Lord, in these difficult situations, knowing, Lord, that your promises are are sure. Lord, the very words we can stand upon and walk confidently, Lord, is, is the very strength that we ought to find in these times. And Lord, exercise that godly wisdom and discernment. Lord, always looking for a way, for you tell us that we are to be as cunning as a serpent, but as harmless as doves. And so, Father, I pray, Father, for anyone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this morning, Lord, that they would simply surrender their lives to you, confessing their sins, believing that, Father, you sent the Son to die on our behalf, to pay for our sins, past, present, and future, Lord, all of them. That after having been crucified on the cross for our sins, he was buried and three days later rose from the grave. And today sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf. And so we await for his return. For the rapture of the church. And one day he will come to reign as Lord and King. To all who believe on him, Oh, Lord, salvation has come, for we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for the church. Lord, that you would strengthen us, purify us. Lord, that, oh, Lord, we would uh, be a people who have that tenacity to continue to move forward in spite of our circumstances and talk of your goodness and your glory. And so we praise you, Father. As long as you give us breath, let us be about our Father's business and bless you. In Jesus' name we pray.